Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Psalm 16. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. And so let's read Psalm 16. And its title is, A Mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Let's come and let's pray to our God as we spend some more time Uh, looking at his word. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice that you have given us your word. We pray now that your spirit would be at work in us, working through these weak words of mine, uh, that our hearts would indeed be lifted up to you, that we would rejoice in all that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this year, I was listening to the audiobook of Journey to the Centre of the Earth by Jules Verne. It was first published in 1864, and it tells the story of a geologist who discovered a coded manuscript from a famous Icelandic scientist. In this manuscript, which had been written 100 years before, he had claimed to have discovered a way to the centre of the earth. So this geologist and his scientist nephew secretly go to Iceland with this coded manuscript. They go to the inactive volcano, uh, which the manuscript says is the entrance to the tunnel. They have to be there at exactly the right time of day on a particular day of the year because that's the only time where light from the sun will shine on the cave that they need to go through, which is the entrance. And the nephew spends his whole time doubting whether it's a good idea to attempt this. He is certain that the majority of scientists of the scientists of his day are right, that the centre of the earth uh, will be hot magma but not his uncle. His uncle is convinced that everyone else is wrong. He is looking for glory and honour, respect, fame. He wants to discover what's been hidden. Stories of searching and discovery are often able to capture our imagination. And I think it's partly explained by an inner desire that we have, an awareness 
that we're missing something. Some of us wish we had the fame which comes with new discoveries, the riches, recognition. But all these different rewards are only shadows of what we're really after. We want joy. We want life to be full of meaning and adventure and worthwhile relationships. And we want that joy to be secure. We don't want to have brief moments of joy which are then taken away from us. We don't want our joy to slowly peter out like it would if we made a a new discovery and we were famous for a few years only to then be replaced by the next big thing. In this psalm, Psalm 16, David has found the source of all joy. The one who gives everything which is good, who preserves his people through difficult times, who promises victory over evil. David tells us, rejoice in God, your refuge. In verses 1 to 6, he gives the first reason to rejoice in God, your refuge, because, verses 1 to 6, God is the source of all blessing. Look at verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, it's hard to know when David wrote this psalm. Was he running for his life from Saul? Was he uh, safely hiding with the Philistines? Was he finally king? Was he running away from Absalom, his son? David's life was a seesaw of safety and trouble. Now, we could speculate about when he wrote it, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Otherwise, David would have told us. What does matter is that David had this attitude in good and bad times. He knew that God was his only hope for joy. He was the source of all blessing. And he knew that God was his only sure refuge. That first verse was his prayer, whether he was in good times or bad. And it should be ours. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's the kind of prayer you'd pray in desperation as an angry angry king grabs his spear and starts aiming at you from across the room. And it's also what you would pray during peacetime. As you look out from your house in Jerusalem, asking God, and you would ask God to preserve this peace, to continue being your refuge. Think about it. What else could David have found refuge in? Could he have put his trust in? His army? When he was king, he had an army of Israelites at his command and they won battle after battle. Maybe he could put his confidence in family. When we think of kings who had many wives and concubines, we think of Solomon. But David had a number of wives and concubines too, and and through them he had many sons and daughters. In the ancient world, it was often considered a sign of strength and stability for the king to have a large family, to have wives who were the daughters of the surrounding kings. That, That was especially useful 
they would almost guarantee that those neighbouring kings, that they, they wouldn't attack you because they didn't want to hurt their, their daughter or their, their potential grandchildren. It's worldly wisdom, not, not God's wisdom, but David could have put his trust in it. What are you tempted to put your trust in and your confidence in? Is it your bank account? Is it large enough to weather any storm that comes your way? What about your insurance policy? Maybe it's your family because you're convinced that they'll stick together through thick and thin, that nothing will tear you apart. These are all good things to have, but David knows who gave them to him. His greatness, his security, it doesn't come from his own cleverness or his own power. I have no good apart from you, he says. God is the source of all blessing. And so David delights in God's people. They are the excellent ones, he says in verse 3. Why does he delight in them? Compare verse 3 with verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So he, he compares God's people with unbelievers, those who worship idols. He's lived among them while Saul was, uh, was after him. They offer sacrifices to gods who don't exist. They put their hope in what can never satisfy They reject the true God who can give them everything that they need. But God's people chase after the true God. They know where lasting joy and satisfaction can be found. God's people encourage one another in worshipping the true God. They share stories of how God has preserved them in difficult times. Over dinner... If the kids are eating fast enough and there's enough time, my family will plug away at a book. I'm a fast eater, and so when I've finished and there's enough time, I'll, I'll read out loud while everyone else is uh, still eating. We're not very diligently, d- diligent at it, but slowly, eventually, we work our way through books. A while ago, we read a simple biography of John Flynn, the Presbyterian minister who was the founder of the uh, Royal Flying Doctors Service. At the moment, we're working our way through a biography of Amy Carmichael, missionary first to the poor women of Ireland and then to Japan and then finally spending most of her life in India. Those nights where we actually get to read, whether it's just a few pages or whether it's a whole chapter, they are incredibly encouraging. The saints are our delight, like David says, because we see their faith in him during hard times. We see God come through for them time and again. We're inspired to hold on to God because they did. We're spurred on to work hard for him. If you're not living for Jesus, you don't know him, you haven't placed your trust in him, What does your life revolve around? Is it work? Family? Your latest trip or the planned trip? Your latest sexual conquest? What are your thoughts constantly 
revolving around the hardships you're facing? What are you placing your hope in? What are you living for? David says that unless you're living for the one true God, nothing will ever really satisfy. Nothing you're given, nothing you experience will be what you want. It might give pleasure for a time, but it will fade. Either the enjoyable thing will disappear, your money is stolen, your once harmonious family fractures, or it'll just become normal. That view which took your breath away now barely captures your attention anymore. But David says in verses 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. See, God isn't just a genie for David, giving him whatever he wishes for. God does give him good things, but it's more than that. God himself is the blessing. And that's one reason why we gather each week. We get to think about the God who loves us, who has called us, who has saved us. We get to think again about the incredible reality that the God who made everything with a word, who dwells in unapproachable light and is so pure that man can't look at him and live, this God came down. The word became flesh. God learned to walk and talk and teach. He could have destroyed us with barely a thought. We're like ants shaking our fists at the sun every time we rebel against him and we fail to, to love God with everything that we are and have. And we fail to love our neighbours as ourselves. But instead of destroying us, us little ants, he went to death for us. The God-man died in our place. He took our punishment. And we get to think about this incredible reality together. We sing songs of praise, marvelling at him. We pray to him. We read his word, we hear it taught, and more, we get to discuss it. Because when we come here, we don't just want to talk about the weather or, or politics. Like David, the saints are our delight because we get to talk about the wonders of the living and true God. And we reflect that, that, that joy, that desire, by staying behind after the service and, and talking about what he's done in our lives, how he has been exposing our sins so that we would repent, how he has answered prayer. We sit together out the back over a cup of coffee and, and we pray together. We come together during the week to study the Bible together and, and discover more about the God who loves us. Or do we? Do we do that? Is church... Instead of that, is church just that thing that you do on Sundays for an hour a bit? Do you pray for the people who come here because you love them? Do you talk about Jesus because, uh, with them because 
He is your chosen portion and your cup. God is the source of all blessing. He's the one that we rejoice in because he is our refuge, our eternal blessing, no matter the hardships or the dullnesses of life. We should rejoice in God, our refuge, because the blessings that he offers us can never be taken away, though the world tries. Rejoice in God, your refuge, because he is the source of all blessing. And, verses 7 to 11, he is the hope for your future. See, David doesn't pretend that because he knows God, that life is therefore easy. That there are no problems to deal with, no hardships to endure. But he knows that his only hope is God. God is his refuge, so he can rejoice in him through the uncertain times, the difficult times. The excruciating times. See verses 7 and 11. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now does David mean that whenever he has a problem, God tells him the solution? When you read the story of David's life in First and Second Samuel, that, that sometimes happens as God speaks to him through the prophets. But most of the time, David doesn't hear God speak to him directly. He, he doesn't know where to run to to escape from Saul. He's not guaranteed that he will escape from Absalom, his son. But still, even when God doesn't speak to him directly, he does speak. He does give counsel. See, David has the law of God. He knows how God wants him to live. He knows the promises that God made to bless his people and even to bless him personally. And here in Psalm 16, as as David mulls over God's greatness, his compassion and, and the security that he has in God's promises, which are found in God's word, As he thinks about all that, he ends up writing scripture himself. Through David, God gives his people words to pray and sing. In our worries and fears, through psalms like this, God counsels us. He reminds us that he is the source of all blessing and he is the hope for our future. He calls us to rejoice in God, our refuge, because only in him is there safety from the threats of the enemy. David reminds us that even in the face of death, we don't need to be shaken. We don't need to quake in fear. We don't need to search for the solution to death and ageing. The cosmetic industry is built on the fear of death, the dieting industry, the exercise industry. Each of them has a healthy element to it. There's nothing wrong with makeup and using makeup to accentuate physical beauty or nothing wrong with eating well or exercising. And dieting and exercise don't just make us look younger and healthier, they they extend our lives. But all of these industries, they are ultimately built 
on the fear of death. It's big news whenever there's a discovery about the ageing process because people want to extend their lives by a few years. Some scientists are even striving for eternal life, wanting to live forever by transferring their consciousness into a machine. But David doesn't fear death. He rejoices in God, his refuge. Verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. See, David knows that he is safe in God's hands. Maybe he is about to go into battle, and he is trusting God to keep him safe. Maybe he's not thinking literally and and but the reality is that he knows that whatever happens to him, that he will have a descendant on the throne, shepherding the people of Israel, because that's what God promised. But we know that that personal element is an all that, Dave, that was going on in David's head. He wasn't only thinking about himself, because he knew that he was just a shadow of the true king, the greater king to come. As he prays the prayer of this psalm, he knows that while it's true of him to a degree, it's true of the great king to an even greater degree. Peter uses these verses in his sermon at Pentecost. He quotes them in Acts 2, and then he makes the point, David did die. He did go to Sheol, the place of the dead. His body did decay. But Peter says that David was a prophet. He foresaw the day of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's because this is ultimately about Jesus that we can pray this prayer too. Because Jesus wasn't abandoned to the grave, we can know that we won't be either. Paul said that Jesus' resurrection, that that was the first fruits, the anticipation and the guarantee that we would also be raised. There are some of us here thinking about death more frequently than others. You can feel the time drawing near because of your age, because of your health. But if you're in Jesus, if you have trusted in him, you know that he died to give you forgiveness that he rose to life, if you know that, then you don't need to fear death. Your prayer can be the same as David's. You can rejoice in God, your refuge, because he is the hope for your future. A future with no end. Forever with the one who loves you. This can be your prayer because it was Jesus' prayer. If God is your refuge, if you've trusted in Jesus as your king, as the risen king, this prayer can be yours. You can stop searching for meaning in life. You don't need to regret wasted opportunities. Your life hasn't been wasted. If the one thing that you have done in this life is to love Jesus, that is enough. He will give you back the years that you wish you had. If he's your refuge, 
you will rejoice with him in eternity for eternity. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whatever troubles and and heartbreaks come your way in this life, if you know Jesus, they are not the end of the story. You can rejoice in and through the hardships and the trials, in the disappointments, the tragedies, the frustrations. There will come a day when you enter into eternity with your Saviour and you'll see that those, those hardships that you've experienced, they were truly light and momentary struggles compared with the glory that you will experience. Like David, like Jesus, you can rejoice in God your refuge. He is the source of all blessing. He is the hope for the future. Before you is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Don't let go of Jesus. Rejoice in God, your refuge. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, it is good to come to you, to hear you speak and to know that you are the one who gives every good thing. We pray, our God, that we would truly find our refuge in you, that we would not find our safety and our security in other things, that we would not strive for things that are not you, but, Lord, that we would desire to know you deeper, to cherish you, to love your people. Lord, for the people that we know and love who do not know you, we ask that they would stop their searching in in the wrong places, but that they would come to you, you who is the source of all blessing, all hope, you in which we can find joy and peace forevermore. Our God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.